0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Tough day here in Michigan as we begin to grapple with the news that uh, John Dingell, uh, a 92-year-old former congressman, the longest-serving congressman in U.S. history, died yesterday. You know, when somebody of this prominence dies, there are all of the really predictable tributes to their public achievements. And for John, there were just so many of those. The amount of time he served in Congress, the legislation he got passed, the Clean Water Act, health care, and so much more. And then there was his wonderful facility with words and wit, something that much of the world just got to know in the last few years as he took to the social media platform of Twitter to share that. We're going to talk about all of that in this hour, and we're going to get started with that in just a few. But I want to take a couple minutes to talk about what this means to me and for a lot of other people here in Detroit. There's kind of another more personal dimension. John Dingle was my friend, something I've always cherished and been really proud of. And when I think of him and along with his wife, Congressman Debbie Dingle, I think first of those close personal moments, the advice they've always been so careful to share with me, the ways in which my world has really been enriched by John's presence. The last couple of days, as it looked as though he was taking a turn for the very worst, uh, I've been thinking a lot about some of the times I spent with John and with Debbie, of course. Uh, and one of the ones that comes to mind really Very quickly is uh, the State of the Union address in 2014, which was John's last as a congressman in Washington. I was John's guest for that State of the Union address, uh, and I spent the whole day with him uh, and Debbie in Washington at the Capitol. And we did all the official things, of course, uh, but most of the day, we just sat around talking. We talked about politics. We talked about history. We talked about family. We talked about life. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself just how extraordinarily privileged I was to have John Dingell as a friend, to have him be able to have that conversation with me. Yeah, he was a congressman. Yes, we were in the Capitol and headed to the State of the Union address. But it was really just the two of us talking, talking about our friendship, the things that we had in common. Those are the things that I'm gonna miss the most now that he's gone and over the next few weeks, I think it will hit me several times just how poignant that loss is. One of the last times I spoke with John in a professional manner was on Mackinac Island in the spring of 2016, months before the election, the nation elected Donald Trump as president. John was, and has been ever since, a really fierce critic of Trump and his really crass style of political discourse. During our conversation, we talked about this new era in politics and about Dingell's career-long devotion to expanding access to health care. Here's that conversation. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, God
1: bless. It's a privilege to be here as one of your listeners. I'm proud to be on your program, and
0: I'm (laughs) Looking forward to the interview. It's always good to see you. Um, I, of course, first want to start talking about this extraordinary presidential campaign. Uh, On both sides of the aisle, we've seen things that are a little bit anomalous, not the things that we normally see. Donald Trump on one hand, uh, Bernie Sanders on the other. I'm sure uh, that your historical perspective on this is really different uh, from most peoples, uh, so let's let's start with uh, what does John Dingell think about Donald Trump running for president?
1: Well, my old daddy used to have a saying for people like that, and that is, the only reason they take their foot out of their mouth is to change feet. <laughs> and, and and I have to say, criticisms that I'm seeing, of him, in the media, from Republicans and Democrats and alike, and and from politicians and, and news folks and, and so forth are just awful i would get out of a race if people were saying these kinds of things about me yeah. and i'd try and get out of the race before somebody came along with 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 rope or a bucket of tar and feathers because because the things that they're saying about him are things that i wouldn't want on my tombstone
0: yeah yeah you served in the congress for a very long time and Uh, worked with lots of different Republicans as presidents, as people uh, in the Congress, both House and Senate. Uh, You've seen that party change quite a bit over time. We talked about that when you decided to retire, the change in tone and tenor of the debates uh, in Congress. This, though, seems like another kind of extrusion. I mean, Donald Trump is not representative of even the extreme to which the Republican Party has gone.
1: Well, and they, and they will say so. Everybody that I talk to in the Republican Party is embarrassed. Uh, he seems to be setting up a, a dual party, who, which is different than and, and totally uh, alien to the, the people I've known. The Republicans I have known, I have worked with, and they have been decent people. They, and and I, have, I have been 16 years as chairman, and I had a wonderful relationship with every Republican who was a senior when I was a member of the body, when I was a, was a chairman of a committee. And I was proud of the relationship I had. People would say, I remember I had a little guy by the name of Gross from Iowa. They said, God, that's awful. You're going to have him for ranking member. I said, it's going to be great. Because I said, if I can convince Gross that things are good, And if this is right, I won't have to worry about attacks from the right. And I found that the theory of the system of bringing everybody in, that everybody is represented, is a very important thing. That is not to be seen in the Congress now. And decent men and women are being shriveled up and are not able to participate in their government or in the service and representation of the people. Uh, who they represent, and when you do that, you cease having the kind of representative government and the kind of governmental system that the founding fathers wanted, and that we have always been proud of in this country. And it's 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 a source of shame and distress in in Washington, and and really the attitude down there is awful. And it, it is not so much bad people who are in the Congress. It is, it is the pressures of those who would lead us on that side of the aisle. And, and and the thought of seeing a fellow like Trump in the White House frankly terrifies me and frankly outrages most of my Republican friends who think, good God, how can we run this country with a man like that in the White House?
0: I can remember uh, a while back, you talking about the disrespect Uh, that President Obama has faced uh, while he's been in office, and the fact that you think that a lot of it has to do with him being an African-American. I tend to think that there is some connection between the animosity that's directed at Obama and the enthusiasm that's expressed for Trump, that one sort of grows out of the other.
1: I hate to say it, my dear friend, but you're right. And it, it is a real shame because... Obama has been a fine president. You will find no scandal associated with him. You will find no misbehavior re- represented by his behavior anywhere. You will find that he has had some enormous successes. Uh, his health care package is a wonderful thing. They go run right around saying, "Oh, we're going to repeal it and we're going to make changes." We are covering people that never had coverage now, and the and the health care system of this country was going to hell in the head basket, because we could not cover the people, and every part of it, from the hospitals to the doctors to the nurses, uh, all of them were hurting and 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 looking for a, 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 an early collapse. These things I think we can avoid if we can if we can pull together. And the problem is that we need to pull together. This is a country that exists because we have pulled together. It exists because we have, like old Senator Vandenberg, a Republican, who saw to it that the country did what was right and that partisanship ended at the waterline and that, and that we had a, a commonality of view where the good of the country was important, not the election of the individual. And, and, and when I look to see people who will do anything to get elected and who don't don't seem to care about the people. I'm frankly terrified of the future and I'm terrified of what this means to our people who want this country to be something where we have a wonderful cooperative enterprise here where we all understand that we have to work together for our common good.
0: Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is John Dingle, the longest-serving member in the U.S. Congress. When I think about your career, it's hard for me to put any issue on the same level as health care, not just because it was uh, such a passionate issue of yours, but it was your dad's issue as well. Uh, talk about that day, uh, I guess it was 29, 2009 or 10, when that finally became a reality, that health care reform actually happened in this country. I mean, it was a big day for a lot of people. I just imagine that for you, personally, it was much bigger.
1: My dad was fired for union activity. He had no health care, and he went west, and he was, his health was saved at Union Printer's home. The doctor told him, and "said John, you have six months to live." Pop's comments were unprintable, but he he was given <laughs> six months to live. Pop outlived that, and I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if, if he, he had, hadn't had right. if he hadn't had health insurance that that was that was given, and that became a crusade to him. But it was only a part. National Institutes of Health and and all of the tremendous research that he led and that I was able, when I came to Congress, to finish off. And the healthcare package that that we built over time was capped by what Obama brought forward. And it it is working, and health care is available now to people. Imagine, if you please, my dear friend, what it would feel like to be told you're gonna die, and there's nothing we can do to help you, and we're sorry, and and there's nothing, and nobody, and no program, and no way of seeing to it that you're gonna survive, and you got nobody to help you, and so you're gonna die in a ditch alone like a dog. That's not what this country is for. We can have good health care, and we can have good expenditure, wise expenditure of public funds, because good nutrition, good education, good health care are critical to the future of this country. And there's too few people that seem to realize the
0: importance of that. I I mean, we seem to be investing less and less in those issues, not more.
1: Well, and that's true. And and of course, we have this dreadful difference that exists between those who have need and those who have money. And everybody says, Oh, it's there. You know, we have givers and users. Well, that's baloney. Everybody, everybody wants a job. Everybody wants to be independent. Everybody wants to take care of himself. And a lot, of, and most of them don't have the educational background of, of to be able to do these things. And so the rest of us have got to see to it that we bring those people up so that they can contribute to the growth and the greatness of the country that we love.
0: Of course, your wife, Debbie, succeeded you in your seat in uh, Congress. Is she doing a good job?
1: I am very, very proud of that little woman. Somebody asked me when uh, I announced I was quitting. They said, now, how is she going to do? I said, hell, she's been telling me what to do for 35 years. She'll do just <laughs> fine.
0: she tell everyone else what to do in Congress, right? Just turn <laughs> her loose. Yeah. Okay, John Dingell, longest-serving member of the U.S. Congress. Thank you, as always, for talking with me on Detroit Today.
1: Well, God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing. This is this is still the greatest country in the world. It's still got the greatest government. It's still the most wonderful place to live. And I had, I had a friend of mine a while back. So I said, how are you doing? He said, he said, I drew the winning ticket 80 years ago. And he said, I've, I've had a wonderful life since then because I've been an American. It's the greatest thing in the world that could happen to a
0: guy anywhere. Wow. All right. Thanks very much for being here. Up next, we're going to talk with NPR political reporter and Detroit native Don Gagne about John Dingell's life and legacy. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. And listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We are talking this hour about the life and legacy of John Dingell, the longest-serving congressman in U.S. history. He died yesterday at the age of 92. Joining us now to talk more about John is Don Gagne. He's an NPR national political correspondent and a native of Detroit. Don, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure.
0: So in your obit on NPR this morning, you had this moment from Dingell's floor speech about the Affordable Care Act.
1: I have the curious belief that health care is a right
0: and not a privilege. And I
1: believe that we've waited too long to see to it that that's a reality.
0: So I think there is almost no issue that is more associated with Don- John Dingell and his time in Congress than, than health care. Uh, talk about his legacy with health care policy.
2: Yeah, uh, that that had to be the core of the obituary that I did. And... Every single term, starting with his very first one when he was elected, uh, he introduced some kind of a universal health care bill. And he did it every session until the Affordable Care Act was passed. And and uh, I mean, we might as well start with what is my all time favorite John Dingell anecdote. It was early 2010, and it was in the East Room of the White House, and it's the day that President Obama was signing the Affordable Care Act, right? And every Democrat who's anybody was there, Anybody who cared about that issue was there. And you will recall that's the day that Joe Biden, Vice President Biden whispered uh, something rather indelicate <laughs> in the president's ear about how big of a deal this was. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there. But uh, but it was but the, the room was crowded and I was kind of way back in one corner and and and, and uh, I wasn't even formally covering it that day. I was there just to kind of witness this moment. And just before the president and the vice president came in, one of the last people to enter this very crowded room was Congressman Dingle. <laughs> And he came in uh, on crutches. He could still get around then. He was, I think, 83 or something like that. Uh, but he was on crutches. And he comes in. And uh, there's, there's a lot of chatter in the room. And people are talking. And, and they're not really paying attention to anything, you know, as they wake the president. But then people realized that John Dingell was, was <laughs> coming in to, to take his seat near the front. And uh, the room got quiet. And then there was applause and a standing ovation for Congressman Dingle, mm-hmm. And he then did something that has, that has stayed with me. Again, he's on crutches, right? And he stops and he kind of notices the crowd. Then he takes one of his crutches and, like, holds it up above his head. Like almost like a freedom fighter, <laughs> holding their you know <laughs> their musket above their head <laughs> or whatever, but acknowledged the crowd with that, and then had his took his seat, and uh, I I just remember thinking it's one of the special things about covering covering the White House and having the position that NPR allowed me to have is you get to see history, but for me it was the sweep of history in that moment because. As you said, I'm from Detroit, but I grew up and spent a good chunk of my life in John Bingle's district mm-hmm. and uh, I first met him as a cub reporter when I was working <laughs> for a commercial radio station down in Monroe, Michigan, and he opened up his first congressional office and I think it was probably nineteen eighty one and I remember doing an interview with him with, <laughs> and and him kind of giving, giving me all the time in the world and answering my questions, uh, because anybody who knows John Dingell also knows he's about constituent <laughs> service. Yes. So he was going to give the local reporter from this local small radio station all the time they needed. Uh, so I went from kind of recalling that moment to that moment in the White House, you know, 30-plus years later. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just
0: incredible, uh, uh, and and you also just interviewed John for the last time recently. Is that right?
2: I did, well, I interviewed him as he was leaving office, mm-hmm. so it's been it's been a few years,
0: um,
2: and I did a I did a number of pieces as he was retiring. There was certainly kind of the the, the farewell to the dean of the U.S. House of Representatives, a, a record that you know. I, I don't make predictions, but I, I can't foresee it being broken. Um, but, uh, but when he retired, it also closed the door on the World War II era in Congress. He uh, and I want to say it was Ralph Hall from Texas. There might have been somebody else then, but they were the last World War II veterans hmm. to serve. Yeah. So it was ending that chapter in American history as well. And and I will tell you, I interviewed him in kind of an anteroom off the main floor of the of the U.S. House of Representatives, the place where he had spent, you know, practically his entire life. And because he was leaving office, he'd already vacated his his congressional office, his office space. Mm -hmm. So the outgoing members of Congress kind of had like smaller workspaces so i interviewed him not in his his main office but in this kind of temporary space that that he was in and he was in a wheelchair and two things were very clear his mind was well, still sharp um but i recall and I had, I had a producer with me i had an npr producer who's now a reporter brackton booker with me helping me out that day and uh we could we could barely tell what he was saying and it was uh it was almost unusable on the air just because his voice was so soft and so weak uh we did still use it on the air but we um we had to like say what he was going to say before Mm. you heard him say it Mm -hmm. it was important we felt that people hear his voice and hear what he sounded like Um, but that was that was the last time I interviewed him, and um, he, 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 always, he always remembered that I had met him way back when,
0: <laughs> and
2: even as I went to work for WDET and then Michigan uh, Public Radio and, and then NPR. He always kind of remembered I was that that kid, <laughs> and I am still a kid, I think. Uh, that, that that kid from from his district yeah. who uh, was there to talk to him about whatever the issues of the day were. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Don Gagne, NPR National Political Correspondent. Thanks very much for being here with us. On well, it's break my the
2: pleasure, day. and I'll uh, I'll I'll tune into the rest of the show. I um. Uh, Anxious to hear what others yeah. have to
0: say. Yeah, it's a sad day, but but in some ways, I think what we're doing is lifting up that that legacy that John has left for all of us. Uh, again,
2: great yeah, to hear from uh, that. Well, we, we won't see his kind again, and uh, that doesn't even begin to get to his Twitter feed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right, that's right. We haven't even gotten to that yet. Okay, Don, <laughs> thanks very much for being with us.
2: All right. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye.
0: Uh, joining us now is Sander Levin, a former congressman who served for a very long time uh, alongside John Dingell as well. Sandy, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Glad to be with you. And, and I want to start... On an this, unhappy day.
0: Yeah, right. A very sad day for all, for all of us. Uh, I want to start with a clip of you on the House floor talking about the relationship between the Levin's and the Dingles. Our two families have been so
3: close for so many decades. Our two families, the Levens and the Dingles, the Dingles and the Levens have had their lives so interwoven, so interwoven, coming from somewhat different backgrounds. But those weren't an obstacle, those
0: were really an opportunity. Okay. uh, Sandy, talk about this relationship between these two families, these two big political families here in Southeast Michigan, the Levins and the Dingles.
3: Well, it goes back 70 years. John Dingle's father and our family were indeed uh, interwoven. And it was his dad who recommended my uncle Theodore to the federal bench in the 40s. And that relationship only increased after that.
0: Wow. Uh, and you, you served for a long time with, uh, with John Dingell. How, how close was that working relationship between the two of you getting legislation passed?
3: Oh, very close. For example, relating to the automotive industry, uh, that is just a total given. And he was a leader in making sure that we combined the, the environmental issues with the economic issues. And when we fought to save the auto industry at every point, John was absolutely in the center of it, indispensable.
0: Uh, uh, can you talk some about the close working relationship between John and Debbie, uh, which, which uh, those of us who know them know that that was uh, a very big part of uh, their lives and their, and their work? You saw it up close, serving uh, alongside both of them in, in the Congress.
3: Well, for sure. We should remember that uh, Debbie was an important person in the auto industry in her own
0: right. That's right.
3: And that's how they met, I think, long ago. And so they were then doing different aspects of work for the auto industry. But for those of us who were born and raised in in the Detroit area, the auto industry was the one that produced the middle class. And it was the place with the help of the UAW, where people from various walks of life came together. So there was an intimate relationship between my brother, Carl, myself, John, Dingo, Debbie, and others. It was personal, but also related very much to deep policy issues. The auto industry was so important for this area, but for the whole country.
0: Uh, I, I wonder if uh, one of the things that I, I've always thought was a hallmark of of John's career was um, uh, the ability to work through differences with people, to be able to disagree, but come out on the other side of a debate or an argument, uh, figuring out a way to work together. You know, I wonder if if there were instances in which you disagreed with with uh, John Dingell and and had to sort of work through to that to that other side.
3: Well, I'll give you a political example because it is so vivid. Um, he and Bill Ford were very very close to Hubert Humphrey. And I was state chairman this was long ago mm. in, the late, uh, in the late in the late in in the 60s and I was for Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. Mm. I would say chairman's supposed to be neutral, but I was for him. But, and we fought each other. But after the tragedy of uh, Bobby Kennedy's loss of life, we came together and carried Michigan for Hubert Humphrey, working hand in glove. Uh, So that was not a congressional example, but a political example Mm -hmm. And John was able to do that in so many ways. Generally, we very much agree. But we were able to work across the aisle, for example, on issues relating to the environment and the auto industry because there was a notion that they were in conflict. And, and John was able to find the ground, the common ground, so that we could move ahead, saving jobs in this country at the same time caring about the environment. Mm-hmm. He was a, a giant in that. remember his dad talking about his father authored the first health care reform bill uh, many, almost a 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Sander Levin, former congressman from here in southeast Michigan, always great to hear from you on Detroit great Today. Great
3: to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yes.
0: Okay. Up next, we're going to hear from Congressman Dan Kildy, a Democrat from Flint Township, about his memories of John Dingell. Stay with us. We'll be right back. listening today to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for joining us. We are talking this hour about the passing of John Dingell, who died yesterday at age 92, the longest serving congressman in U.S. history. Earlier this morning, I spoke with Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan's 5th District. Kildee is the last remaining member of Michigan's Democratic Caucus who served with John Dingell. Here's our conversation. Congressman, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, let's start with your personal memories and relationship with John Dingell, which I know dates back a very long time.
4: Yeah, in fact, I I just don't remember a time that I didn't know John Dingell. Um, You know, I grew up in a family that was really involved in Michigan politics, and so he was just, he was always there, and he was always this absolutely commanding presence. Stood up tall, big booming voice. Dominated every room that he was in, and so anyone involved in Michigan business or politics or community knew John Dingell because if he was in the room, he was the focus of the room. Yeah, um, yeah. Sad day.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, y- y- you also got the opportunity early in your congressional career to serve alongside Congressman Dingell in Washington. Tell me what that was like.
4: It was. It was just was one of the truest honors that I've ever experienced. You know, growing up and really meeting him and knowing him as this bigger-than-life figure when I was a kid, I never imagined that if I ever had a chance to serve in Congress that I would be serving side-by-side with John Dingell. Um, I remember one particular uh, evening, uh, early in my first term, it was in the second year of my first term, I was watching C-SPAN, and there was old black-and-white video of the signing of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And I saw Lyndon Johnson turn and shake hands with John Dingle. Hmm. And the next morning, I walked to the floor of the house and I sat down next to John Dingle. And I realized <laughs> I was sitting next to a guy who was not just a witness to American history, but actually helped shape it. Yeah. And it was, um, it, I will never forget that moment because it was just this incredible realization of what what a tremendous figure John Dingell really
0: was. And, and as representatives of people here in Michigan, you you guys had a little in common. I mean, you, you both represented areas that are strongly democratic and have been for a long time, but, but also are strongly working class uh, and and sit in a little bit of a different ideological space than many other Democratic districts. Right. Uh, was that a source of, of partnership or kinship uh, for the two of you?
4: I, for sure. You know, John, John showed me that when you're a representative, uh, you have to stand up for the people you represent. And, you know, sometimes John took criticism based on political ideology from people because he was unabashedly... Uh, uh, supportive of the people that he worked for, and I think he was the one who first told me that the the title of our jobs and the job description are one and the same. We are representatives, and he nobody nobody embodied that more fully than John did. And because our districts had some similarities, I was able to learn from him um, that really important lesson among so many others.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you think of the congressional legacy of John Dingell. Uh, what, what, what are the things that come to mind?
4: Well, I think one thing that really sticks out is that John Dingell, way before anyone else, was fighting for health care for every American. Mm-hmm. Year in and year out, John Dingell pushed. And it was very unpopular. It was seen as almost impossible that that what he was talking about could ever come to pass. And then, of course, he was right there at the bill signing when Barack Obama signed the Affordable Care Act, which took a big step forward in realizing something that John had been fighting for his whole life. I think that's the principal legacy. But he touched so many other areas, clean air, clean water, uh, certainly defending manufacturing. Uh, He just uh, was not just a presence in American politics. He shaped it.
0: One of the things that stands out to me about uh, about the Dingle legacy is how broad the reach is. Uh, and you, you sort of touched on that a little bit there, that, that this was somebody who was able to at once defend the auto industry, which was uh, a big part of his job being from, from Michigan and being the representative of people whose livelihoods depend on that industry, but also having been one of the fiercest advocates for protection of clean air and clean water. In, in some people's minds, those are, not, those are not compatible positions, but Congressman Dingo always made them work together.
4: He did because I think he knew um, that there was not a necessary conflict between these interests that we all pursue, that people should be able to work for a living in a manufacturing job, earn a decent wage, have some certainty that that industry is going to survive, which John fought for, but that we also want to be able to live out our lives enjoying the benefits of this planet Earth and have clean drinking water and clean air and protecting our Great Lakes especially. So I think some people didn't understand the complexities of policy as well as John did, and so had a hard time wrapping their heads around that idea. John always, John always knew you can, you can have both if you have good policy.
0: You mm. fight for it. Yeah. And, and if what is at your core uh, is sort of a strong uh, moral center, I mean, I, I, I always felt like he was such a strong believer and such a strong person that, uh, that when he took a position, you never questioned where it was coming from, no matter no matter whether it was compatible with one ideology or another, you knew that he believed it and that that meant it came from a good place.
4: It did. It came from his heart. And again, not everybody agrees on everything. And there were times where even uh, John and I would disagree on an issue here or there. But the one thing nobody ever doubted is that if one were to debate John Dingell on any issue, number 1
0: <laughs> you probably lose you probably lose
4: <laughs> but that his his point of view was was based on a core set of beliefs from which he never wavered and he knew the facts he knew the issues so well um in in some ways you know people say i i, I know i was often intimidated by john it wasn't because he was an angry guy right it was because he just had such a command of the subject that we were dealing with. He had such a command of the issues and the way this institution runs that that itself that depth was intimidating in some ways. He was this you know he was just this bigger than life uh, person yeah. um, it's, it's a sad day that we that we know are going through that we've lost him. <laughs>
0: That was Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee. He represents Michigan's 5th Congressional District in Flint Township. Now I want to talk with a couple other people who knew John Dingell well, two Republicans who were quite close with him. Nolan Finley is the editorial page editor of the Detroit News. Nolan, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be here, Steve. Also with us is Kurt Heisey, Plymouth Township Supervisor and former state lawmaker. Kurt, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, uh, Nolan, uh, your relationship with, with John is one of the sort of political curiosities, I guess, of Southeast Michigan. You sit on opposite sides of the spectrum. But uh, I know, and I think a lot of people know, that that you were just very, very close.
5: Well, you know, he became a surrogate father to me over the years. We spent a lot of time together. And it's not unlike you and I, Steve, in terms of the relationship we understood we had different politics and you know, John was a new dealer, shaped much of the liberal politics and policies of the last half of the twentieth century. Many of the things I po I opposed, but it wasn't about politics with us. It I mean, never was with John, and with anybody. It didn't matter. I mean, he was very passionate about his politics, um, as I am about Mine, and we spent a lot of time talking about politics. But I don't recall ever an unpleasant moment in those discussions or an angry moment. He always listened, and I listened to him, just like you and I. I was never going to change his mind, nor his, him, him mine. But we were able to talk, and we understood we were about more than our politics, and we talked about much more than our to- politics. We would talk politics for a while, and very quickly moved to guns and hunting and <laughs> dogs and history, um, so many other things that uh, uh, were important to both of us and formed the basis of our long-term relationship. And you know, we—I spent a lot of time in a in a duck blinds with with John. A lot of times at the shooting range. Uh, you know, that's. That's where our
0: friendship was rooted. Yeah. You you went to see John the other day. Night uh, before he died. Right. Yeah. Uh, what did you talk about?
5: We talked about a lot of things. You know, he was, uh, he knew he was, um, you know, had just a little bit left. And, you know, John always in these last year, couple of years, uh, wanted to know, you know, whether what he did, he, he constantly asked, did what I did ma- matter? Right. Will people care? Do people remember me? And I thought, for goodness sakes, John, it was a, to me, it was just an, a ludicrous question. But to him, he was very serious. He was, you know, concerned that what his work, had, whether his work had, had mattered to anyone. And I said, of course it had. We talked a, bit, a lot about the Detroit River International Wildlife Preserve, which he is responsible for creating and which was, what he wanted to be his legacy and so we talked about ways that we could keep that effort going and i assured him we would try to do that and make sure that it didn't get forgotten it didn't get neglected and so that's what that's what i'll do and others um he was very concerned about that uh, that was a, a real i mean he saw he saw that as his legacy yeah. and, and he was really uh serious about that and concerned about that. You know, uh,
0: uh, talking about his concerns about whether what he did mattered, whether his life mattered, it's sort of reflective of a a, a universal kind of humility that John had. I mean, he was never somebody to bigfoot somebody else. He was never someone to sort of lord over people. Yeah. Most powerful Compared congressman. to most people yeah.
5: in that, those positions. Most of the pipsqueaks who occupy those positions today, and you know as well as I do, uh, act come in a room and act as if they are somebody. John Dingell was somebody, and he'd come in a room and be, in his mind, the least important person there. He wanted to hear about you. First thing he always asked me when it is, how are you doing, my dear friend? Mm-hmm. Tell me about you. Tell me about the paper. You know, tell me about your kids. Uh, didn't want. It was never ever about John. And you know, the other night it was the same way. He was very concerned about Debbie. You know, he he hated to leave Debbie. That was the the great love of, of his, his life. life. Yeah. And I have I t- I, I said to, on my show this morning that I was never with them when they were together. More than long, more than five minutes uh, when he didn't say tell look to her and say, I love you, Fox. He'd say that every five, 10 minutes. It was just impulsive, compulsive. He had to say it. He did absolutely love her. And she him. Anybody thinks that relationship about politics didn't spend any time with them because it was not. uh, She's heartbroken today. Mm -hmm. She was a fierce defender of him, a fierce protector of him i told her last night she probably kept him alive 10 years longer <laughs> longer than, um, just by her her sheer will that he you know that he stay alive and healthy
0: yeah uh kurt heise uh talk about how a democrat from dearborn and a republican from plymouth hmm. became close friends
6: well it really goes back to my time in dearborn i uh i've known uh congressman dingle for uh, more than 30 years it goes back to uh my early days in politics in Dearborn, uh, growing up there, uh, right out of college. And, um, I've befriended his, uh, former, uh, district in district rep who was a lady by the name of Eileen Katora and Eileen was a, a very, uh, active person in, in uh, politics in Dearborn. And, uh, my wife and I ended up, uh, renting a, uh, flat above her, uh, above her house in, in Dearborn when we first got married. And that was the the first home of John Dingle. Um, so uh, our ties go back uh, a long way. John Dingle was uh, was at my wedding. Um, we uh, were always at his uh, Christmas parties and uh, other events, especially downriver, because I did a lot of work down there in my early years. And uh, I probably would run into the congressman, uh a couple times a month uh, either at social events political events or uh, uh, or just just by invitation and, and then I had the, the honor of working with him the older I got once I went to work for Wayne County as the environment director we worked very closely on uh, funding for uh, the Rouge River the National wet weather demonstration project uh, Detroit River projects uh, so many of the environmental initiatives that are uh, are, are still active to this day in Southeast Michigan are a direct result of the uh, funding uh, and the advocacy that we saw from Congressman Dingle, and so uh, I think that will really be one of his great legacies. Not only standing up for the auto industry, which which I know gets a lot of attention, but uh, the his advocacy and support for uh, environmental cleanup and. The Rouge River watershed and the Detroit River in southeast Michigan will really be the, the, his lasting legacy.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we've got about a minute before we need to end the show, Kurt. But I, I wonder what pol- what role politics played in your relationship with John.
6: Well, you know, he taught me a lot. Um, I, I learned about uh, listening, trying to compromise, uh, trying to work together uh, without— uh, rancor or partisanship, and we need a lot more of that nowadays, and we're, we certainly don't see it. Uh, but he represented uh, a, a, a kind of uh, style and uh, passion for public service that uh, I, I hope has served me well. I think I learned a lot from him, and I've done my best to live up to his example. Mm.
0: Okay. Nolan Finley, editorial page editor at The Detroit News, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Steve. And Kurt Heisey, Plymouth Township Supervisor, former state lawmaker. Great to hear from you as well. Thank you. Okay, we want to end the show today with this moment from the dean during my conversation with him on Mackinac Island in 2016. Wise words about our nation and our system of government.
1: Well, you're going to get perfect government when you die and go to heaven. And until then and until then, the Lord's going to say you're on your own, and you're going to have a government made up of people and of things that are human and If you look, this is the only country in the world where people are trying to get into and and not to get out of and it's always been that it's a very important thing to us all that this country has been so wonderfully successful in doing things for everybody, regardless of the color of our skin or our religion or any of the other things that are that are just accidents of, of birth and things of that kind. And I'm willing to say, there's perfection here? Hell no, there's not perfection here. But there is an opportunity, and, and our job is to see to it that we give a hand up, not a hand out. To a lot of people, you educate a kid, you're giving a hand out. Well, that's baloney. You're giving a hand up, you're developing the future of the country, you're making this better, and you're going, to have a, you're going to have something coming back for the country and for all the future generations. And if you look, we're not doing that. And people have forgotten how important it was that we would have a government that was designed to do those things.
0: That's going to do it for us this week on Detroit Today. I'll be back on Monday. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our associate producers are Gus Navarro, Chris Williams, and Sydney Spa. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. I'll see you on Monday.